This is the European Tours Life on Tour podcast presented by Hilton. Hello and once again welcome to European Tours Life on Tour podcast presented by Hilton. I'm Andrew Cotter and every once in a while I get the chance to chat to some of the great names associated with European golf both on and off the course. Our uh, latest attraction is uh, someone who made her name on the course but not as a player, one of the most famous caddies in the game. It is a welcome to Fanny Sunison. Fanny, uh, great to have you here. Well, thank you. Uh, we are in Gothenburg, which is your your hometown, home city now. Yeah, it's actually where I was born, and I I'm, I have a place here, so I, I really enjoy this place. Yeah, it's okay. good. I I, li- I'm, I like to study languages, so I have to get it. Is it Jotobore? Jotobore, exactly. Jot- Pretty good. That's good. Jotobore. <laughs> <laughs> so let me, this is a slight diversion before we get on to the golf. So the great tennis player Bjorn Borg. In Swedish, how's his surname pronounced then? Björn Borg. 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 Yes, so we Borg. got it wrong all those years when we were saying the great McEnroe Borg rivalry. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's wrong, I'm afraid, but we all know who he is. Okay. <laughs> True it's legend. McEnroe Björn rivalry. Anyway, so we are in uh, Jotobore or Björn or anyway, uh, Gothenburg. But anyway, this is your hometown. Is this where you grew up as well? Uh, no, we moved from here when I was very young. So I, I spent my time from four to 19. Uh, down south, down and, s- yeah, in Sweden and uh, in Blekinge, and then I went out on tour when I was nineteen. So. Okay, so talking about growing up and growing up down south, which is probably still up north to the rest of us, but then down yes. in the south <laughs> of Sweden. So when did you take up golf then? Because you 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 were a very keen player. Yeah, I I got my first golf club when I was six, and uh, my parents played and. I guess I was at the golf course playing. I didn't really play golf, but seriously started playing when I was a teenager. And then that's all I did. Perfect teenager, just played golf. I was always at the golf club. Okay, and you don't have to be too modest here. How good were you as a, as a, as a youngster? Well, I was, I was okay. I mean, I was in the observation troupe that we had then for the Swedish team. And I got invited to play a professional tournament uh, as an amateur. But then uh, I was going to go to college in the States and uh, I got, I hurt my knee. So I, s- I had to take a gap year, but I could caddy then. So I thought, well, I'll caddy and I'll learn for my own game and uh, see what the pros do. So that's how I started it. Is that how it, um, so when was the first time, can you remember distinctly the first time you, you caddied rather than played? Yeah, absolutely. That was uh, 86 at mm-hmm. the Scandinavian Enterprise Open, this tournament, but okay. you know. Uh, so 86 up at Ulna in Stockholm and uh, caddied for Jamie Gonzalez from okay. Brazil. And he gave me the, her bag of Bellotta golf balls when it was, you know, when the week was over and I was sold. I thought, wow, this is like Christmas coming early. So apart from earning a, a few golf balls, what, what was it about caddying that, that, that you enjoyed that attracted you to it? Well, I love being outside. I love golf and I love being involved in the decisions. I love being inside the ropes and... and uh, I mean, Gonzalez, he involved me in the, in the decisions of what club to hit. And it was fairly easy because if he hit five iron, I would hit a four iron. And uh, so, so it was fun. I, I loved it. And okay, so who was the first, the first player? Would it be Jose Rivero? Was he your first sort of um, you know, yeah. top, top player? Probably? Yeah, he was the first full-time player. I worked, for, I worked for him all of 87, pretty much. How did that come about? Uh, I started with him. Uh, someone helped, helped me get the, the bag and uh, I started Italian Open 
And we had a great start. We finished second after that. I think it was the longest playoff in, in years. We lost against Sam Torrance, but it was a good start first week. Later that year, we, we won the French Open together, and then he made the Rally Cup. Yeah. But he didn't bring me. So he, well, so you were a regular caddy for, for Jose, but when the Ryder Cup came along, he went, he, with, he went with the family. Did he, did yeah, he, he decided to, to bring a brother. And uh, it was a yeah, it was a blow to me because I, I was looking forward to, well, not just going to the Ryder Cup, but going to the States and the Ryder Cup and to see Ben Crenshaw. I wanted to see him putt. That was like um, something big. But it was yeah, it was I was heartbroken basically. You would have seen Ben Crenshaw putting with a one iron man against Damon Darcy. That's what you'd have seen close up. But that was an amazing. Ryder Cup at Muirfield Village. So I, I obviously it must have been pretty you know, as a European you'll have been happy that they won, but that must have been quite painful to watch. Yeah, it was it was uh, I mean I was very happy that they won, but I was extremely sad that I wasn't there. It was uh, yeah, a few tears shed, I can tell you that. <laughs> so so what happened in the aftermath of the, the Ryder Cup? You were with Rivero for how long after that? I met him the week after at the Dunhill Cup which then was a, the team format, you know. And uh, as soon as he arrived, I thought I was too hurt. So I worked that week and then I left him. All right. So you're, so you're you're a rare thing in a caddy who actually sacked a player rather than the other way around. Yeah, but I, I think there's a few few caddies that do that. But, yeah, I... Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, then, well yeah. no, but you, you, it's interesting you talk about that because the relationship between a player and caddy has to be... You have to be harmonious you have to be singing from the same hymn sheet yeah you spend a lot of time together and uh, I think it's important that you respect and enjoy the person that you're with because it is a lot of time and uh, I think it will be very difficult for a player to work with a caddy that he or she doesn't enjoy and likewise I think it would be difficult to do a job for someone if you don't enjoy them somewhat and I mean you, you don't need to be best of friends maybe but uh, you know, I've been fortunate to work with some fantastic people and players, so I've I've really enjoyed my my career. Well, before we come on to some of the other players, um, what was life like as not just as a caddy, because caddies have often been seen as second-class citizens, but especially back then as well, but also for a woman doing it, because this that really was a rarity. Yeah, but you know, I've never been a man, so I can't compare it. Uh, uh, I. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's, it's a tough life. You travel all the time and, yeah, you're not always treated well. But, but maybe I've been treated better because I'm a woman. I don't know. Um, it's, I've, I've felt really fortunate doing what, I'm, what I did. And I loved caddying. I wouldn't wish anything undone. Yeah. Were you made to feel welcome by the... Because the caddying fraternity, and there they are, fraternity. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so were you made to feel welcome by what is quite a tight-knit family? Yeah, I, I think so. I uh, I think I was... I mean, I worked really hard. I, I worked very hard and uh, I did my thing. And uh, there was people that helped me, you know, Jimmy Cassins and Malcolm Mason. That, yeah, uh, poor Malcolm that passed away just uh, yeah recently. 
they helped me. And, and, you know, there was, I did feel welcome. And if someone didn't like it, I guess I didn't notice. And if I noticed, I would have not thought about it so long. So mm. I, I tend to try to think about positive things. But Okay, now, so correct me if I'm getting this wrong chronologically, but after Jose Rivero, was it Howard Clark? Was he next? It was actually Anders Forsbrand oh, well, for a year, 88. One of your own. Yeah, one of my own, that's right. Worked for him for a year. And, and when I left him, I asked Howard Clark, mm. and I worked for him for a year. Okay, now tell us about Howard Clark, because Howard Clark, a lot of us know Howard very well in terms yeah. of broadcasting. And as a, a player, he was actually, on his day, a great player. Unbelievable. I mean, his iron play. He was a really strong player. He hit the ball fantastic. Uh, I, I loved working with him. He was very difficult to work with. Mm. Uh, had some tough nicknames. Uh, but you had some tough nicknames, or you gave him some tough nicknames? <laughs> no, he had some tough. Yeah, he probably gave me some some nicknames too. He did, but no, I loved my year with him. He he was a fantastic player. We're still good friends today. He's a gentleman, mm. uh, but he was tough to work for. Um, I think that he would say the same. But I learned a lot, and I I I'm really happy I worked with him. And it was a tough decision, you know. When I worked with him, he made the Ryder Cup. Yeah. And I got to go. So we made the Ryder Cup, which was amazing. You know, I got to go with him. And now he, he's a great person. We talk about Howard Clark, though. And, you know, it's interesting you talk about the, you know, the devil on the course and the angel off the course. Lovely guy off the course. And because he actually bought you, did he not buy you a, a watch class, a watch... Yeah. He made some sort of gift. Was it a watch class? Yeah, it's uh, like a long time ago, Ibel was sponsoring... Uh, the Swiss tournament. Okay. And up in Kron. Up in Kron. And I, had, I got a special deal. I, got, I couldn't afford to buy the, this gold watch with a gold clasp, but you couldn't really see it. So I got to buy it with a, with a stainless clasp special. That's ruined the effect there with the, a stainless clasp. Yeah, it did. well, that's what I did anyway. And, and when we got to the Ryder Cup, uh, Howard, he said to me, he said, you know, I, I need to look at your watch because I, I'm going to order it for someone. So he took my watch and I didn't think anything. He took my watch and he took it away. And then when he came back, it was a girl class. Oh. It was just so nice. He's, I mean, a nice surprise. He's a gentleman. Yeah, he is. He is a true gentleman. He's a great guy. Angry man. I heard a story once about him. And this is pre-you, I think, carrying for him, but that he had a terrible putting round once. And as a, a punishment lesson to his putter, he tied his putter to the back of his car and drove home dragging it behind him. But that may or may not be true. One of those apocryphal ones. We'll have to get Howard Clark on he, Life on Tour to clear that up. Yeah, it does sound would, like the kind of thing he would have done, though. <laughs> yeah, but I don't, I'm not sure the putter would have been better after that. No. But you never know. But as you say there, he would be the epitome of, and there are a lot of them, guys who are gentlemen off the course, but really intense. I mean, he had, he had a great... A great temper on him, and he, as you yeah. say, he admitted that himself. So that must have made it difficult at times, a challenge. Absolutely, I mean it was tough. But I, I, I think when we were on the course, I didn't take it personally, you know. And I think that's the way I handled it. And we're still friends today. And and I think if he wouldn't have had the temper he had, uh, he would have been one of the. Mm. I mean, he was, you know, making the Ryder Cup. You're one of the best players, but he would have been oh, much better. So tell us about your first Ryder Cup experience then. 
it was just fantastic to be to be there. I mean, to, you know, in golf we we play it's an individual game, really. You know, most of the tournaments are individual, and and this one it's a team event, and you know everyone play, you know everyone work together, and it was really special. And Ryder Cup has always been very special to me, and uh, and maybe it was even sweeter for me to be there because I didn't get to go to the first one. Mm. So, so this was the Belfry in '89. This was the Belfry '89, yeah. And so, and so after um, Howard again, was it a sort of mutual parting of the ways with uh, with Howard? Uh, it it was. Uh, I was approached by Nick Faldo, oh. and uh, he asked me to work for him. And uh, Howard was was fantastic, and he said to me, "You know, you have no choice. You have got to go with it." Is that because because Nick had played with Howard a few times, obviously with you in the bag, and had just sort of liked the way that you went about things? Well, I guess. It's up to Nick to say that. I, I, but yeah, we had been out with, we had played with him, and and I had also been out with with Nick a few times when I caddied for Rivero. Mm. So I guess I guess he he saw something that he liked. I worked hard. I mean, I I, I, I yeah, I did work really hard. So. Okay, so again, putting this in time context, this is late 1989. Yeah, this is uh, end of '89, the so, last tournament in in Australia when when Nick asked me. Yeah, I mean he's king of the world at this point. You know, you've got Nick Price and Greg Norman, whoever, but he's won the '87 Open. He's just won the '89 yeah. Masters, so it must have been tremendously exciting for you. Uh, it was unbelievable. I mean, he he was number one in the world, and he had won five tournaments that year. And he asked me, yeah. and I'd been on tour for three years, and he asked me to be his caddy. And I remember I ran all the way. You know, I stayed in a small hotel next to the player hotel. I ran all the way back home and. And uh, you couldn't really afford to call home then, you know, to phone home. But, but I phoned direct from the hotel and uh, my dad answered. And I was like, Dad, Dad, I'm going to caddy for Nick Farnborough. That was it. So. Right. So initially, what's the, the experience, the excitement of caddying for, for Nick Faldo, who is, as you say, just the, the best in the world at that time? So what was it a quick sort of bonding that you had? Did you quickly get onto the same wavelength? Yeah. Yeah. I think we were. I mean, I'm a perfectionist when I work and, and so is he. And I think we really bonded quickly. We started with five days with Ledbetter. So I got to know what he was working on with the swing and where he wanted to go. Weaknesses uh, didn't really have many. But uh, yeah, I... It was a great start, and then we went. Yeah, I went to Australia for a skins game, and then we went to America for, and then we ended up going to. You know, I got to go, I got to go to Augusta. Was that your first? Was that your first time in Augusta in yeah. 1990? I hadn't even watched it on TV. Oh. So it was. I just heard about it, and and I had caddied one event in the states, and that was NEC at Akron for mm. Anders. Mm. 88 and uh, so go to going to Augusta was unbelievable. Okay, well, uh, an amazing experience, you know, above all anyway. But the caddies there, you've got the the overalls. It's a unique experience for a caddy. So yeah. how was that? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's pretty hot that overall, uh, and uh, uh, then it was like one big room where everyone changed and. Because well, you know what it's like now. You go there as a, as a as a commentator now, which we'll be talking about later. But you know that Augusta now, the caddies have got a wonderful, a wonderful uh, sort of building beside. Oh the practice yeah, it's ground. amazing. But what was it like in, in 1990? Uh, it was. Uh, it wasn't as. I mean, it wasn't as nice then. But it was. It was like one big room for everyone, and because I'm a girl, so I had to change for everyone else. And 
And, and that was good job I'm Swedish. I, I figured, well, if I go to the beach, I'm in a bikini. So if I'm in a sports bra and knickers, it's the same thing. So it was no big deal to me. But now, I mean, the, it's actually been two upgrades since then. And the next upgrade after the first one, they actually had a small locker room for the girls. Yeah. So, Can so you imagine? Yeah, if you'd been a, a repressed British caddy, you would, have, you would have refused to change. You'd have been changing somewhere yeah. out in the car park. What about the overalls then? Because they're surely designed for... Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were designed for men. I have hips. Do you have a choice of size? What, what do you do when you get your overalls? Do you have a choice of size at a guess? Yeah, I I had to have. It was rather big because it needed to fit everything in. Uh, they were very straight, and oh. I'm not straight. I'm more curvy than that. So yeah, it wasn't uh, made to fit uh, my body anyway. But it was fine. I put a belt on and sort of. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure I look great, but. Okay. <laughs> but it, it worked. It yeah. worked. You accessorized the overalls. I, yeah, I did. A little so, bit. Okay, so 1990. I, I mean, cheated as well. I rolled everything up. Oh, did you? Uh, so it wasn't as hot. Okay, Bit tremendous. of a rebel. No, exactly. A rebel at Augusta. You should have been thrown out. Yeah. What about that first year then? Because, you know, defending uh, champion and defending champions, as we knew back then, hadn't had. I mean, only Nicholas had done it at that point. So yeah. just tell us about that week and that experience. Well, I mean, I remember, and th- this I can say because I know Nick has said, you know, we've done a lot of interviews together and stuff. And uh, for me, it was amazing to be there. Everything, I loved everything about the tournament, still do. I love going there. I go there every year, even if I wouldn't be commentating, I would go. And I, I only missed one year when my dad was sick. It, it was amazing to be there. The golf course was fantastic. I mean, the, the condition is great. But then the difference on the condition were outstanding. Coming from Europe to that was just, it was a dream. And it was beautiful. But uh, I'd never been there, of course. And at that time, the caddies couldn't walk the course without the player. Mm. It's changed now. So that was a little difficult. But for, oops. Is that your phone? That's my phone. What is that? Is that a duck? It's a duck. It works on on a golf course. You don't notice it. But here, sorry. Oh, no, that's tremendous. I like that as well. Can you just hear it? Listen. Oh, so yeah. you have that, so that when you're out on a golf course and people don't suddenly go, whose phone is that? Yeah. They were getting a, we're getting a, he's not a flunky, I was about to say he's a flunky, he's a very important man from the European tour, but he's going to, yeah, I love that, dog. I haven't thought about that before. Mine used to be my dog barking, but then people would say, well, there's no dog around here, so. Well, I was setting up a course, a uh, tournament, you know, on the Ladies Access Tour, and I was setting the course up, so I thought, well, and it was a lot of ducks there, so I just changed it to that, and. You know, I could actually have the sound on because no one noticed. I, I lowered it, but uh, it's perfect. Okay, I'm going to change my text message alert to someone very quietly saying, for us, <laughs> that, so everyone ducks. You know, ducks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, right, so, uh, but but that was your first year, obviously, at the Masters, but first year contending in a major. So yeah, that for you is a step up in terms of how did it feel coming down the stretch? I mean, that, that was no... I just always figured I used common sense. If I just did my thing as well as I could, that was that was all I could do. And I think I had I had a few things that were you know that helped me. And I think I got calm. You know, I love winning. Yeah. And and there, I mean, caddying. I mean, I wasn't hitting the shots. All I needed to do is helping with decisions. And I was really prepared. I mean, I I worked hard on the yardage books and knowing the cause and. You know, because I hadn't been there and I couldn't walk the course on my own, Nick afterwards said that it was really good for him because he had to, you know, we talked about things and he had to tell me things, which made him, 
it was really clear for him. So it was good for both of us. But Faldo at his best, did he just want a yardage or was there back and forth about what club it might be? Oh, I mean, we could, yeah, it, it could be either. Sometimes yeah. it was just a yardage and you knew the club. Sometimes we discussed it. It's, uh, it was both. It depends. Yeah. That's an answer that's very comes no, back no, absolutely. But And again, some caddies, you know, some players like to have a chat or a soothing word or whatever mm. when they get in contention and others. I mean, Fowler was so focused and with such tunnel vision. Was Did you chat at all when things were getting heated yeah. up? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, he was very focused and, and so was I. But sometimes you need to break that because... Uh, when it's a lot, if it's a lot of pressure on and you're there, sometimes you need to talk about something else, but sometimes you're quiet, sometimes you're just in the bubble. But you know, I work with the mental side now, I believe it's very tough to be focused for five hours mm. solid. I think that's the you know, golf is a, is a great game, you need to go in and out of the focus bubble, if you call it that way. And that's so, yeah, I talk about other things as well. Is that almost what you admire most about his game when he was at his best? His his focus. Well, I suppose he had so many attributes. Uh, he was he was amazing in many ways. He he was uh, yeah. His focus was fantastic. His uh, iron play. I mean, he, he the way he controlled the golf ball. Then you know, it's a different game today. He hit the half shots amazing. Mm. You know, that's today you don't need to hit those shots as much. The the ball was different. You know, if it was windy then. You needed to keep the ball down. Today, with the balls, yeah, if it's really windy, you need to do it. But if it's windy, it's not the same. You, were, you I mean, in terms of sort of recognition, you were right up there with some of the biggest players because Falda was the biggest star and you were very easily identifiable as well. So did you not enjoy the attention, but did you like uh, uh, the fact that you were uh, quite famous as well and, and recognised? I, I never... Th- I never sort of thought I was a star because I thought he was. And early, I remember early when we started, I said no to autographs because I felt, well, I'm I'm just a caddy. And, and Nick said, well, why do you say no? And I said, well, I'm not the star. And he said, well, if someone wants your autograph, it's up to them to decide that. And by the time you have signed it, you you could have signed it. Or by the time you said no, you could have signed it and you would be gone. So, uh, and I, I figured, you know, what he said, that, well, if someone wants it, then I will sign it. So, yeah, I, I got, I did do autographs, and I still do. I, I have no problem with that. But I sort of didn't feel like a star. It, it was kind of double. Uncomfortable? Double. Yeah, it was sometimes, especially when, when I was with other caddies. I, I don't know. But, you know, kids and even, even grown-ups, when they wanted it, well... You know, it was easy. I, I kept walking. I signed. The key was to sign and walk. Now, I don't know what the sort of the newspapers are like in Sweden, but in the UK, you know, they are pretty intense as well. Mafalda being a big start. Did, did that ever sort of encroach on your life and you felt a bit uncomfortable being in that kind of spotlight? Not really. Not really. I didn't. I, I didn't really do interviews. You know, mm. I've opened up now. <laughs> Uh, later. Was that a conscious decision at the time? Said it's best to, to remain in the background. Caddies should be doing their job and not really sort of speaking out. It, it wasn't. I think it was a decision based on many things. It was. I. I didn't. A. I didn't think I was a star, so I didn't think I needed to do the interviews. B. I got interviewed and someone misquoted me badly, and. Uh, 
said that I had said something that I would never say. Yeah. And that upset me a lot, actually. So I just shut down like I didn't hardly talk to anyone. And uh, I mean, Paul Kimmage, a good friend of mine now, he, he, you know, he, he's, he's a great writer. And um, he was following Nick around. And I was very difficult to get close to. But, but when I trust someone, then I could do an interview and I could do it. I, but I would never, ever do an interview without having copy approval because I hate when it goes, you know, if it's not right. And it's in the interest of the journalist as well. But, yeah. but no, it didn't affect me too much. That's the great thing about podcasts because everything you say, you can hear and say, yeah, I did say that. You Unless can't we edit change it, anything. We're exactly. going to edit it and make it out of context or something like that. Something, yeah. something to do with your phone. Anyway, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so moving on with, with Faldo. And, and in that, that period where he was so, so good, then we go on to, well, to Muirfield, I suppose, in 1992. Is the one where I think that... We suddenly found him under... We had 91st, yeah, St. Andrews. Oh, 1990, St. Cool. Andrews, yeah. So we, I've skipped over... No, yeah, no, I, do, I do want to talk about that, of course. We don't have enough time, anyway. No, we do have enough time, because I want to talk about that one, because that was a great showdown with Norman, where, yeah. you know, Greg Norman seemed to, to wilt under pressure a little bit, and Falder was just his imperious best. So can you tell us about Nick Falder's mindset in that week? Well, it's, uh, what, what's the, it's a lot of things that's the ultimate, but that is one of the ultimate. To win the Open, which I, I love the Open, and to win it at St Andrews is at the home of golf. I mean, I love St Andrews as well. I I love going there. And to win there, that he, I mean, he played fantastic. Was that the best you've seen him play over the, over the course of a, a week at a major? Yeah, I mean, he played yeah, one of the best. Yeah, it was... He, I mean, he played great so many times, but... Uh, definitely there. You have to really play your way around the course and and uh, aye, very impressive. You know, we talk about this great duel that he was having, or certainly had a first two rounds at the halfway stage of there or thereabouts with Greg Norman, but it, it wasn't all plain sailing. It was a great championship for Faldo, low winning score, but there was a little bit of a wobble. Now, this is where Caddy steps in and uh, says the right thing to a player. Did you ask him when he was starting to get a bit nervous about um, whether he was going to buy a dog? Is that true? Yeah, I mean, I talked about everything. You know, Payne Stewart, hmm. bless him, um, he he was chasing us. Yeah. And when we were around 9, 10, 11 there, it was getting close, too close for comfort. And uh, I talked about everything. I talked about his new house, what colour he was going to have on the walls, if you, yeah, if you wanted to get a dog. I talked about everything just and to get him out. Does he, of, he knows what you're doing at this point. Um, though, yeah, but, I mean, I'm sure just... he knew. But he, it made him answer. Yeah. So even if he knew it, he had to sort of answer me. So it's... Yeah, he couldn't really think about the situation as much. Was he thinking about getting a dog? Uh, <laughs> did he get a dog? He, he, I think they did get a dog, actually. He bought uh, a dog with his winnings. What an amazing dog that must have been, yeah, a gold-plated yeah. dog. Uh, but then you said there was that little bit of a wobble out there and Payne Stewart was chasing hard, but then when he's coming down the 18th... I didn't say it was a wobble, you did. I did say well, wobble, exactly. It was no wobble. See, this it's is what you're talking about, people, putting, just... people misquoting you. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there we are, you can correct me. Uh, so coming down the, the last, you know, but then winning at St Andrews, and he would then, he told you to sort of enjoy, usually it's the caddy saying to the player, enjoy the experience, but, you know, he would say to you, you know, savour this. He did, yeah. It was, uh, when we played 17, because, you know, the road hole, the famous road hole 17 was, uh, it's always nice to get away and get to the 18th tee. And when he hit his tee shot on 18, we knew we were going to win. 
And uh, we walked off 18, you know, St. Andrew's 18 is big, fairway, and you have the, the stance, and oh, it's just so pure there. And when we walked off the tee, he turned around to me and he said, you know, savor this moment. And, and I, I mean, I get emotional when I think about it because he really made me do that. And to this day, I can remember how it was. And if he hadn't said that, I, I wouldn't have. I would have just been in my bubble and just doing my thing. But I can remember how it was. And we hit our second shot onto the green. And, and then, you know, they had the rope with the crowd and they let the crowd go. So we had to run up to the green and we ran amongst the crowd and then got onto the green. And I was, I'm really grateful that he said that to me. And uh, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Do you ever think about being a, a groundbreaker in terms of, I mean, before that one, at the, at the, before the Open at the Masters, when, you, when he had won, when you both had won, you were the first woman caddy to, win a, to, to help win a men's major. Did you ever think about that? Not really. I didn't, I didn't really pay much attention to me being a girl instead of being a guy. Mm. You know, it, it's a fact. You know, I've never been a guy, as I said earlier. But to me, I was a caddy. You know, I did the same things as the guys did. I, I'd, uh, it was just that I it didn't really... Did, I was just reminded when people told me. But, but did you think, though, that other women might follow you into it? And there have been a couple, um, but not, not many women caddying in the, in the men's game. No, I mean, it's heavy. The bag is heavy and you're away. And, and no, I, did, I didn't really think about it. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I guess I didn't. Okay. I, did, I didn't. Okay, one other final thing I want to ask you about the 1990 Open in St Andrews because, you know, the red arrows are flying over there and you got to, you know, you're holding the car. Jack, was there a bit of a swap? Did, um... I've, yeah. As I remember it, I think the crowd shouted me up and Nick. Uh, I mean, uh, it was pretty cool to hold the Clara jug. That's a cool picture. When yeah. when Nick turned 60 uh, last year, he, he asked me to come to the... He had asked me a year before to come. He must come to the party. And, and I did. And he was, yeah, you know, he gave me that picture, which was really... And he gave me this. Which I've worn ever since, claret jug. And, it's uh, a necklace for those who are just listening. And yeah. And, uh, oh, it is a claret. I hadn't noticed that before, actually, looking at it more closely. Yeah. Um, a it's claret a, jug necklace. Yeah, I love it. Very special since he gave it to me. So. Okay, so you just, that is special. Yeah. So the watch from Howard Clark, the, the necklace from Nick Faldo. Yeah. You've got, you, God, you're, I'm set. Yeah, you are set. <laughs> Excellent. We've got to come back to 92, and, and uh, let us never speak of uh, me forgetting Nick Fowler's 1990 triumph at St Andrews again. But <laughs> 1992 at uh, Muirfield was the one when John Cook was in a, a, a great battle with Faldo, and it seemed with you know, five holes to go, that, or four holes to go, that he really had to get back on it because mm -hmm. uh, it seemed to be John Cook's for the taking. So did you have words, or did he have words? I know he gave himself a talking to... Yeah, I mean, I think, to be honest, uh, I don't normally talk about what we say and how, but, but I mean, yeah, he definitely pull, pulled himself out. I mean, hitting that shot on 15 mm. was amazing, and, and to do what he did, he, he, he was a special player, you know, and he really liked, he, he loved the Open. Um, it was an unbelievable, yeah. unbelievable win. You know that nothing lasts forever, and you've mentioned 1996, and... Thereafter, was it, um, what was it that eventually was sort of, again, a mutual parting of the ways that you knew the sort of thing had run its course? 
Uh, you mean when we finished working? Yeah, or when how? you and Nick stopped working together. I mean, when did that happen? It happened end of 99. Yeah, so, so we worked a the whole of the 90s. Between... Yeah, we, we worked the whole of the 90s together. And then... But you must have been aware, though, that his... Because that 96 win at Augusta was a bit of an oasis in the, in the, in the desert. It was a little bit unexpected. Yeah, yeah, it, it was. But he was going through a tough time off the course. Mm. And uh, I think to... Pl- I mean, you can't generalise, but it helps to be sort of somewhere good off the course to play really good on the course and you know talking about the press they didn't really ha- they they weren't really kind to him and uh he was going through a tough time and and that was hard you know for me as well because i could see how it affected him so it was probably that was probably a big part of why we split but then we were sort of sounds like a marriage it's kind of is, well, it is we yeah. were separated like for a year and a half you know work wise to go to um, and um, and then we started working together again. So we worked for three and a half years. We almost worked for 14 years together. Yeah. And how yeah. difficult was it um, at the end? Or was it just, a, was it, a, you compared it to a marriage or relationship and some of them end pretty amicably and I think that one did. Yeah, I mean, we're still best of friends. I mean, I care for him like a brother. He's He's a good friend and... Uh, yeah, he, we're still really good friends. When I when I'm in the states, I try to see him as often as I can, and and we'll have dinner or we do something. And I help, you know, I help him at the major champions invitational. I helped him set it up with John Brando, uh, referee on the on the PJ Tour before I retired. So yeah, we're still good friends, which is nice. Okay, so here's a question for you: as someone who now commentates on television and on, on, on golf. When you were caddying for Nick Falder, could you ever have imagined that he would be, you know, just about the leading golf commentator out there in the States? No, no. He and I actually laughed about it the other the other week or whatever, and not not long ago anyway. That now he's, I mean, he's awesome. He's really good. He's a great comment, and he works hard at it. He's he's really good. And then I'm commentating, and I'm expert commentator as well. That would never. We would never have thought that. No, he didn't seem like a natural sort of outgoing personality. But no. uh, it's, I suppose it's his analysis of the game that really uh, stands, him, stands him apart when players are coming down the stretch and he knows what they've been through. Yeah, and he works hard at it. He yeah. works hard at knowing the course, knowing the players. And, and, uh, and he's funny too. You know, he, he was always funny. He's a great joke teller. Yeah. Now, so let's go back to then once you'd left Faldo. Did you think... At that point, right, what is there next to do? Because, you know, you've been there with him and done everything in the game, so it's kind of like, how can I match that with another player? Yeah, I mean, I, I ended up working, I think I went to, I went to Sergio after that. So Sergio Garcia. So I worked for him for a little while. That was quite brief, though. Was it? Was it just a totally different? I mean, it must have been to go from someone who's built in this mould here to go to an entirely different character. It was uh, brief, but long enough. <laughs> <laughs> and I sacked him. Oh really? He's another one, right? So who <laughs> we got that you sacked? Okay, so you've sacked Rivero and Garcia. There's a theme developing, a Spanish theme yeah, developing exactly, here. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, but I think he said to press. That he sacked me. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. We can doesn't clear, matter. We can clear that up. We can clear it up. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It was mutual. Anyway, right. <laughs> so, mutual. okay, so moving on after Garcia, then who is next? I worked a little bit for Nota Begay. I, oh, I think right. I, worked, I went straight into working for Fred Funk, actually, because yeah. when uh, Serge and I 
stopped working at the TPC and then of course Augusta was like yeah. so I worked for Fred Funk at Augusta not many lost balls to look for with Fred Funk yeah but, Fred but Funk different clubbing though yeah a little different clubbing yeah it was but I worked for him then I worked for Nottebegay Nottebegay got injured yeah. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately so he ended up stopping after that yeah. I really enjoyed working with both of them and then then I sort of what did I do I worked for Mark Hensby I worked for a few I was yeah. sort of freelancing a bit yeah, so you're sort of hired, hired gun because your reputation, yeah. I suppose, at that point, um, you, as you say, freelancing just. Yeah. But how difficult is that, though, when you're out on tour? Because you, the, it must be good fun, but there's not much security in that or, or in terms of thinking long term. Were, were you already starting to think beyond caddying and what no, you. I'm, t- I'm trying. I, I can't really remember if it was. I did freelance later on as well. I ended up, well, I ended up working a year and a half, I guess, with probably Fred and Nota, and then I worked for Nick again. Mm. And then when I sort of thought, well, after when we sort of retired, then I did more freelancing. Then I worked for Zach Johnson at the Open when he, Damon needed a week, you know, he needed to do something. And I worked for Michelle Wee a little bit. I worked for Mark Hensby for a while. You know, we had a good start. We actually won this event. Uh, first week we, we worked together in Sweden so yeah it was fun worked for Ian Poulter at Augusta it was good yeah, yeah, I how, had a how, good time how was it with Poulter yeah it was fun I like Poulter yeah. yeah he's a great guy it was it was fun there's yeah. one that's a sort of natural synergy that comes together is that you worked for a few years more recent, more recently with uh, with Henrik Stenson because he, he's a a man yeah. of uh, Jotobora. Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. So how was that experience? Because obviously then you're getting back to one of the very best players yeah. in the world. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. I mean, he is an amazing person and he's so impressive as a player. So that combination was fantastic. His whole family is, is great. I, I loved working with him. We ended up working five years together and uh, we also had a good start, you know, won a few tournaments very quickly. And uh, I'm really, really grateful that I got to work with him. Then I hurt my back yeah. at uh, 2011 at, uh, at Switzerland. So I was forced to retire. But I, I was coaching at the time as well. I was coaching Martin Keimer. And, and Henrik was great because, you know, I was coaching Martin. And we played like in the last group or something like at either Abu Dhabi or Qatar. And, you know, not every player would... You know, when I was caddying, I was caddying with Henrik, but still, I was I was coaching for you know Kaima. So. I love the way that I love the way that your memory is hazy of so many details. Is this because of the number of tournaments? Have you ever added up the number of tournaments you've caddied in? Yeah, I think it's uh, I, I counted them up because I do talks, yeah. so someone said, "Well, you should get." So I, it's over seven hundred and fifty tournaments, and it's like ninety-one majors, yeah. six Ryder Cups, one Solam Cup as an advisor. And one President's Cup. Okay. We can so. ignore the President's Cup, but what was your, what was your favourite Ryder Cup? Uh, I loved them all. The one well, uh, where we won yeah. over in the States when we had the match against uh, Curtis. Curtis Strange, yeah. so at Oak Hill. Oak Hill, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was an incredible finish because Seve at the end of that one there, you know, grabbing Nick Faldo and Seve sobbing. And, I mean, and that, was, that must have been... Was that as stressful as coming down the stretch in a major or even more so? I mean, uh, yeah. Does that really get the adrenaline flowing for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was. I mean, we knew if if we had to turn that match around, and and you know we can't go for the green on eighteen. We got to lay it up, and and uh, and that putt on the last, it was kind of not not great. It's uh, yeah, it was fantastic, unbelievable. I, I, 
You, you were a line reader as well, were you? Did he ask you on yeah, that one? Did yeah, he... we, yeah, we read it and I lined him up on it as well. But uh, And he held it. Tell so. me something though about being a caddy because the, there must be that fear of the... You say it's great, it's fine, I can relax because I'm not the one hitting the shots. But when you've given someone a line or you've given someone a club, then there must be a fear of, God, I hope I've got this right. Just at the very last moment. You know what? I always thought I, I did my best. And uh, I learned, 87 I learned a thing that I was always going to say what I thought. Uh, otherwise, it wouldn't be worth anything. And I think that's the toughest thing to do for a caddy, always to say what you think. Yeah. You know, it's not always easy. But I, I decided that I was going to do that, and I stayed true to that. And I've read it. I've said what I think. Yeah, of course, you hope it's right, but it wouldn't be very nice to think that the whole way. Then it would be stressful. I just thought, well, I've done my best, and if that's not enough, then... You know, we're going to make mistakes, but I try to eliminate s silly mistakes. Mm. You know, I try to, uh, I didn't give a mystery, yeah. you know, a wrong yardage. I was really, I worked really hard on the yardage, you know, and, and stuff like that. Then did I miss club? Of course I did, yeah. you know. Hopefully not, not more than I clubbed the right club, yeah. you know. Now there is a strong uh, uh, sort of bond within the caddying fraternity as well, though. And, and another story we found out about you, and again, you can confirm, modesty aside, if this is true, that there was a, a, a young caddy, young black caddy, who was struggling to, he'd wanted to go to college. Did you help fund him to go to? Yeah, he, he you know, at Sun City, we had, the caddy yeah. had a caddy that worked in the, you know, they, they picked up the golf balls on the range and they carried the bag in the practice rounds. So this is in South Africa? In South yeah. Africa, yeah. And, uh, and I ended up, well, he, he was a great guy, and uh, Joseph Peary, and uh, we talked a lot, and, you know, he spoke a bunch of languages, and I asked him what, you know, what he was doing, family, and what did he want to do, and he got these dreamy eyes, and he wanted to become like a pharmacist, and uh, so... So when the week was over, I gave him some money, you know, to pay for it. But I offered him, you know, instead of getting the full pay that I was going to pay him, I said, I, I want to pay for your education so you can actually change your life and, and do what you want to do. And uh, he ended up, yeah, he ended up doing that. So he went to, uh, to a, a school yeah. and, uh, and uh, changed his life. So it was yeah. good. All right, so of all the players you've uh, caddied for, and we didn't even mention Adam Scott, who you caddied for as well. So everyone likes to know who's the best driver, who's got the best mentality, who's the best putter. I mean, who do you admire in all those various I mean, departments? I admired a lot of them. I mean, most of them, because uh, I worked for some great players. It's... Uh, Oh, that's, that's a tough one. I should do this rapid fire. Okay, rapid best, fire. Dri best driver. Adam the, Scott. Adam Scott, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Uh, best putter you've worked with? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, I would probably have to say Zach Johnson. Okay. Because I worked a week with him. He's pretty good with putting. Yeah, you got count. A week counts. That's yeah. Good. Okay, this is in your freelance gun for <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's a bit unfair, but uh, no, yeah. It still counts. Okay, um, the most laid back player, most relaxed player? Oh, is there one? No. <laughs> no it must be, it's all relative, but there must be one. Uh, Jamie I, Gonzalez, the first oh. one I worked for. Probably lucky. Okay, okay. I have to ask this question as well. The the angriest player you caddy for? Uh, Sergio Garcia. Oh, really? Okay. I thought Howard might sneak it, but no, it's going head to head. So no, Sergio Garcia. No. 
Okay, Sergio wins it. Right, okay, so now uh, post-caddying, and you're still available, as you said, you caddied for Adam Scott at Carnoustie. Yeah. So actually, quickly, how was that? Because getting back on the bag, and, you know, he had a, he had a good week, he's playing well again. Yeah, it was, uh, it was amazing. I, I didn't think I would caddy again. You know, it was six years and ten months since I carried a bag. And when he asked me, I was not sure I could do it. But I was really tempted. I think he's a fantastic player and, and a great person. So I really wanted to do it. And couldn't, I couldn't believe my back held up. So Did he give the full, he had the full tour bag though, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, I, I sort of started with a small bag the week before. But, okay. uh, and I actually had the trolley out to save my back. But no, my back feels great. I, I absolutely loved it. So it's, you can see yourself back out there caddying again, if required, if called upon by the right person? Yeah. Definitely. Okay. And I'm, I'm shocked that I'm saying it, but I definitely could. Yeah. No, because actually Sergio's just called and said... Uh, <laughs> the right person. Okay. Um, so now, I mean, you mentioned... Sergio actually, has a good caddy. He yeah, doesn't need me. Yeah, he does have a good caddy. So you mentioned, yeah. um, you know, working with Martin Carroll, because people might not know that you do a bit of coaching, mentoring. Yeah. Now, is that on the psychological side of things, the approach to the, the game? Yeah, it's like... A, uh, the mental mental strategies, I'd call it, like how, yeah, a bit of everything, depending on what the player need. But uh, golf course strategy, you know, that's a lot to preparing right and f- for you, you know, individually. And how do you think on the golf course? How 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 do you work on that? So I I like doing that. I work not not only for golfers. I worked with the Swedish Premier League football team, Kammarefe, for two years. And uh, that that was really good fun. I worked with some table tennis, and it's very similar. Golf is just really at the height of, you know, the golfers need to be really mentally strong because yeah. it's a lot of time and it's a lot of in and out of the bubble, and and a lot of thoughts can happen in, in that time. They're they're brittle characters, though, aren't they, the golfers? I, I was going to say mad, but um, that's probably a bit strong. Actually, I'm not sure it is. They're uh, they're um, strange characters sometimes to to try and work out and to try and keep them on the straight and narrow. I I don't think so. I think it's a passion. You know, to to become great, you got to have the passion. You got to have the fire within you. And and when you have that, you know, I think it's exciting to work with someone like that, that really wants something. It doesn't have to be a pro. You know, it can be mm. a an amateur, I can work with, with like normal golfers and that can be as fun. If they really want to go somewhere with a golf, it's, it's brilliant. But working with pros, I think I don't see them as weird characters, probably because I'm one myself, yeah. maybe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so the, uh, what do you mean exactly? Uh, well, no, not exactly. I'm, <laughs> just, I'm looking from the outside looking in. I see, well, I see everyone as weird. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure people see that in me the same way. Anyway, television, because you do television commentary now. So yeah. how did that start and how much do you enjoy doing that? I, I started when I was at Augusta, just being there. And a friend of mine, a journalist, Thomas Tinanda, he said, do you want to, he, he worked for TV and he said, the Swedish TV, and he said, do you, do you want to come into the studio? And I was like, oh, no, no, I don't want to do that. And it's like, he, he, like he, he got me to do it anyway. So I was going to go in for maybe half an hour. And there was another guy, Jonas Karlsson, great guy, mm-hmm. Swedish. He was probably at the European Championship where you were. And, uh, and he was great. I felt really relaxed with him. He... I didn't, you know, he made me feel comfortable and I loved it. And we ended up doing two hours, I think. And then I came back for a few hours. So I started there, loved it. And then, and it's a challenge too, because I didn't want to do it. I like challenging and developing myself. So, so the next year I did the same. And then 
And then a friend of mine, Peter, that works for Seymour, he said, you know, we're going to Augusta. Do you want to work with us? And I thought, yeah. I, I mean, he's a great friend of mine. And I thought, why not? Yeah. So I started there and I did three weeks as an expert at the tournaments, you know, the big tournaments. I got to go to them and then, then I started commentating. So yeah. it's fun. I have to ask you one thing. So we have a program uh, in the UK, a radio program called Desert Island Discs, where famous okay. people get on to choose eight, I think it is, pieces of their favourite music. Okay. But at the end, the presenter says, right, on this desert island where you're marooned, you can keep one of those uh, discs. Ooh. So I want you to say you can have one tournament in history that you carried out and were player one. So this is your favourite tournament of them all. And mm. you can't say, I love them all like my children. No, but I have, I have three. You have, uh, what, three tournaments, three children? It's, no, no. Oh, right, okay. Tournaments. Yeah. Okay, so three tournaments, right. Okay, well, let's tell, tell us what they are. It's the Open. The, which, which one? It's 1991 at St Andrews, of course. Well, so I mean, if I have that. to pick one, yeah, it's in St Andrews. Yeah, I can't <laughs> beat that. And then Augusta. Okay. Uh, probably first time. First time. 90, Augusta. yeah, that was special. And then Riley Cup, Oak Hill. Those three. And to choose one. Yes, you have to choose one. I have to choose one. Oh, it's tough. I would have to go for St Andrews then, probably. Okay. It's home of golf. Okay, St Andrews 1990. Thank you for choosing the, the tournament, which I initially forgot in yeah. the roundabout. <laughs> but anyway. Um, and players, I mean, I, I presume you look back most fondly on your. Your time with Nick Faldo? Yeah, I mean, we had a, we had a great, great relationship. Work, we worked a long time. We worked 14 years together. He's like a brother to me. Yeah, yeah it's tough to not say Nick. Okay. You know, we're very good friends. Henrik comes, he was very special too. He's still, a, we have a tournament together, Henrik and I. So we do a junior tournament. So we, we still Is work that near together. here, in Göteborg? It's uh, actually in Bashebeck. We've had it for two years in Bashebeck. Okay. So it's, uh, it's cool. I know, Bashabak. Anyway, listen, thank you very much indeed for sharing your uh, experience, your memories. Thank you very much indeed for joining us on Life on Tour. Fanny soon. Thank you. Tak. Tak, smuka. Thanks for listening to the Life on Tour podcast presented by Hilton. You can get in touch via Twitter and Instagram at European Tour using the hashtag Life on Tour or on Facebook. Subscribe now. And if you enjoyed the show, feel free to rate and review us on iTunes and Apple Podcasts.